I'm Buzz Knight, and today I am so excited to be in Seacoast, New Hampshire. I'm here on this chilly morning to be taking a walk with Tom Bergeron. Tom is the best. He's an American TV personality, game show host, TV host, and comedian known for hosting Hollywood Squares, America's Funniest Home Videos, and Dancing with the Stars. Let's go take a walk with Tom. Well, Tom, it is so great to uh, be with you here in New Hampshire taking a walk. Thank you so much for the time. And the Taking a Walk series is all about uh, finding new friends and reacquainting with people and uh, just having a good old time. So thank you for having me. Well, my pleasure. I, and as I said to you when you first uh, we first made contact, I love the idea of this kind of a podcast, this kind of a, a casual interview. I, I think it's, uh, I should mention to those listening, it is uh, really cold <laughs> on this first day of March uh, in 2022. And we're walking uh, on a tree-lined street in New Hampshire. Earlier, it was about nine degrees. I think it's warmed up to probably a good solid 13 degrees. So, uh, I'm, it's not that I'm second-guessing my agreeing to do this. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I hadn't anticipated Mother Nature uh, uh, throwing a, a little speed bump. But see, now that we're moving, Buzz, I'm, I'm warming up already. Yeah, I pulled into the driveway and I said to Tom, whose brilliant idea was this? <laughs> but, hey, it's your podcast. <laughs> I know. I take the hit. That's okay. <laughs> so uh, how do you use uh, taking a walk uh, at a particular time, if you're working on a project or something like that, I mean, do you use walking to kind of release you and get into a groove on something? Very much so, uh, and it's it's sort of part of my fitness regimen too. Out in California, there are so many wonderful hiking trails, and uh, over the past few years, that's been a regular part of my routine. Usually on weekends, on a Saturday, uh, hit some of the trails anywhere from. Uh, Santa Monica to Santa Barbara. Wow. Must be some beautiful places. You've oh, got it some is. favorite spots. Yeah. Yes, there's one uh, called the Ray Miller Backbone Trail that overlooks the Pacific Ocean in Malibu. And that is followed by a, a brunch at Paradise Cove in Malibu uh, and the mango mojitos that I feel are my reward for hiking. I love it. I can just see it. I can taste it. Yeah, oh, it's delicious. Oh, that's awesome. Now, um, I believe transcendental meditation uh, has is or has yeah. been part of your life. Is for, that correct? Oh, yeah, for about 40 years, actually, yeah. It's a daily part of my life. Um, and and it's, it really started um, because of my temper. Um I, I never directed it at anybody else, usually at myself or at the sheetrock in my apartments when I was single. Um, but I, I thought that was something I had to get a handle on. And also, meditation just keeps, it's like building a mental muscle. So you stay as best as one can in the present moment of your life. Uh, so you're not fretting about what you're going to do later or what you did before and kind of missing what's happening now. So it, it served dual purposes for me. It helped me calm down a bit and be better at assessing stress as it presented itself. Not all stress needs to be treated equally. Uh, and it also helped 
keep me and helps keep me present, which on television anyway, when I do live television, you want to be present. <laughs> you don't want to be thinking about something else. Now, do you still get the butterflies on live television? No, I, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I tell students uh, who are just starting out sometimes that energy you feel, uh, how you label energy is important. Um, if you say, oh my God, I'm, I'm a nervous wreck, right? or you say, I'm really excited, you're having the same energy, but you're labeling it positively and negatively. So I'm sure early on, I, I have a sense memory of the first time I actually was on the radio when I was 17, and my heart was beating like a jackhammer. <laughs> At years later, now, whenever I'm on television, it's, I'm excited. I wonder what's going to happen. In the years I've done live TV, I'm like a kid on Christmas morning. I'll usually meditate ahead of the show. Uh, back when I did the dancing show, I'd meditate between the dress rehearsal and the live show. And my feeling was, I'm ready for anything out there. And I couldn't wait to see what would happen, even if an occasional dancer fainted or people rushed the stage or whatever. <laughs> now, take us back to the, the mean streets of Haverhill <laughs> yeah. and uh, your beginnings that were, you know, the radio piece and yeah. ultimately how it all led to Hollywood. I, I often say that uh, my career only seems logical in hindsight. It has all of the trajectory or logic of a hostage note, you know, cut up and pasted <laughs> from different magazines. <laughs> but at 17, I always knew I wanted to be either <clears throat> as a broadcaster or, or performer on stage. And um, when I was in high school in Haverhill, Massachusetts, I found out that an English teacher was a part-time newsman at the local radio station. So I endeavored to be his best friend. <laughs> got in his public speaking class. We actually did become really good friends later. He introduced me to the station manager at the local radio station, and I got hired part-time uh, with no experience, really, uh, other than just a lot of energy and desire. And uh, I remember uh, planning to go to Emerson College uh, to get a degree in broadcasting and hopefully get a job in radio. But as a senior in high school, I had a job in radio already. So I didn't want to leave a job in radio to go to school to hopefully get a job in radio. <laughs> so I stayed uh, working at the radio station. The, uh, the station manager at one point said, I didn't hire you for you to not go to college. So, and he took sort of a paternal interest in me. He said, if you don't go to college, I'm firing you. So I ended up going to the local community college and taking theater courses and such and uh, kept the radio job and ended up working with a, and, and starting a mime company, right? Me, my, one of my theater teachers at Northern Essex and another friend. So a buddy of mine had the best, because I was doing a morning radio show in Haverhill, and then in the evening I'd be performing with this mime company. So a buddy of mine said, it's the weirdest thing because when we hear you, we can't see you, and when we see you, we can't hear you. <laughs> Isn't that great? Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> now, did that teach you also 
like kind of improv or well i oh, yes both the radio and the theater did actually uh, they're really complimentary in that way um, but i'd always loved the silent film comedians chaplin keaton harold lloyd you know people like that and uh so mime was the closest approximation of silent film comedy that i could get to and interestingly i i cite a teacher i had some years later in South Paris, Maine, Tony Montanaro, who had studied with Marceau and uh, was probably one of the most influential teachers in my life, to the extent that I often say my best broadcasting teacher was a mime. Because <laughs> he, he really taught me how to be present on stage. I keep going back to that term because yeah. it's important to me, but the idea of really being, as Tony would say, on the deck when you're performing. Good morning, I have a neighbor. Good morning. Walking a, a fine looking dog. How are you doing? Hey buddy. <laughs> the walk of the day with the dogs. Is yeah, always, oh yeah. Always, uh, something. Our oldest daughter has a, a little dog that I refer to as my grand dogger uh, in California. And I am so smitten with, yeah. <laughs> with this dog. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes they get a little funky in the cold, but... Uh, well, so do I. Exactly. <laughs> like just... this morning, for example. <laughs> exactly. Now, how did you end up to uh, WMJX? Oh, the, uh, uh, the yeah. The greater media station yep. with our friend Peter Smythe. Well, Peter, whom I owe a great debt to, uh, and he never fails to remind me. <laughs> um, I was working at WBZ-TV and WBZ Radio. Um, my talk show on television, People Are Talking, got canceled in 93. BZ Radio went to an all-news format, sort of shifting out from under me. So I ended up going to, I was still doing interviews during a noon news hour on television, but I was offered the morning show on Magic, on MJX. And uh, I did that, I signed a one-year contract. And I remember saying to Peter, you know, there's some other things kind of in the wind, uh, job possibilities. He said, look, if your ship comes in, I'm not gonna get in your way. Well, about nine months later, I got offered the morning show on this new cable network called FX in New York. And I also got an offer from the late Roger Ailes to join a cable channel called America's Talking. It was an easy decision to not go with Roger Ailes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I remember Peter saying to me when I told him about the FX gig, you know, what I, what I told you uh, I'd honor if your ship came in, I didn't expect a fleet. <laughs> <laughs> Now we hear in the background, I don't know if you pick it up, we got some forestry work going on. Yeah. This the is the authentic nature of That's uh, right. taking a walk. I called him ahead of time. I said, start sawing some wood. <laughs> so anyway, so Peter graciously, and I think uh, putting himself at odds with his own bosses a bit, let me out of the contract. And I went to New York, co-hosted this wonderful morning show on FX called Breakfast Time, which is still my favorite experience in television. Oh, wow. And uh, so whenever I see Peter, I, I thank him. And uh, 
He well, says, yes, you should. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, it was sort of unheard of for a station like uh, Magic to have, you know, a high-personality morning show. Right? I wasn't high then. It wasn't legal. <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, sorry. Went, went somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was sort of, it was a different uh, tactic, but yeah. it certainly, I had just come to town and, and uh, people loved it. People loved the station and they loved what, what you did and then you, you left town. So. Yeah, well, of course, radio was my, where I started. So for me, it was almost a natural evolution. And and Peter and, and uh, Don Kelly, who was the program manager, they, they gave me a lot of rope, I have to say. I, I uh, <laughs> Don would... <laughs> call me into his office periodically and say, you got to stop fading the songs halfway through so you can do bits. <laughs> I said, I said, well, I think they got the gist of it. <laughs> oh, I love it. So, um, so then what, after the FX experience, led you out to California? It was, it, again, here we go back to the hostage note logic of my career. So I'm doing this uh, morning show on FX. And we thought of ourselves as the farm team for Fox. You know, you, you do well on FX, maybe the Fox network would like to do a version of the show. That's what happened. Unfortunately, the executive who greenlit the move left and went to Paramount, leaving us in the hands of somebody who wasn't as crazy about our format when we got to the network. So that turned into a bit of a nightmare. Uh, that was a be careful what you wish for scenario. Uh, but um, at that time, Good Morning America, Rune Arledge, was watching the Fox version and uh, came and offered me a fill-in stint on Good Morning America. Also on that Fox show, that ill-fated Fox show, I, and I have to put ill-fated in quotes because a lot of what happened as a result of it was good. I met Whoopi Goldberg, and we hit it off. So I end up on Good Morning America doing fill-in uh, with the thought that I would take over for uh, Charles Gibson. That ultimately didn't play out because the person that replaced Joan London, a woman uh, whose name mercifully escaped, oh, Lisa McCree, um, <laughs> she and I had no chemistry <laughs> at all. And so... Uh, it didn't pan out that I took over for Charlie, but King World came to me and said, hey, uh, we'd like to have you audition for Hollywood Squares in Los Angeles. And I, you know, I didn't want to really move to Los Angeles at the time, but I knew Whoopi was one of the executive producers, was going to be the center square, and I thought, well, they're flying me out. It'd be great to see her, you know. That's awesome. So I went out. Not really expecting other, anything other than I'd visit some friends and have somebody else pay for my trip. And Whoopi and I picked it up where we had left it off on the Fox show. Had a great time in the audition. I was told later that they thought I was the only person who auditioned who wasn't intimidated by Whoopi. And I thought, how could you be intimidated? She's a sweetheart. How could you be intimidated? But So they offered me the job with the condition that we move out to California, and I turned it down. And then the next day they said, okay, we'll fly you out. And you would shoot that show, five shows in a day. Okay. So, you know, I'd fly out on a Friday, shoot 10 shows Saturday, Sunday, fly back Monday. It was like, 
a lucrative semi-retirement. <laughs> wow. Were you living in New York or that uh, area? Connecticut. Yeah. 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 Wow. But the grind of those shows in one day, uh, that must have really... <laughs> well, we shot it not, to, to an extent, but we shot it pretty close to live. So uh, the day would be, I'd show up probably around a little after nine. There'd be a sort of a group makeup area with a little, you know, breakfast, bagels and things. We'd start shooting at 10. By 1.30, we'd have three shows in the can, break for lunch, come back and shoot what were the Thursday, Friday shows, and be out by 4.30. Wow. So not that terrible. And the lunch was always amazing. Whoopi uh, made sure that all of her guests were well tended to. And uh, so there, we were, we're gonna get run over by an oil truck now. <laughs> we, <laughs> propane and oil going by but uh, she had it catered by Spago and it was there were video games next to where we ate one of my one of my favorite uh, lunches it was me and three other people sitting talking the three other people were Carol Burnett Harvey Corman and Tim Conway and I was saying to Harvey I said now no, to Carol, I said, now there was, Harvey, right after you left the show, the Carol Burnett show, Dick Van Dyke came on for, I think it was only half a season. He wasn't really there that long, and Carol said, well, you know, we're friends, we did a Broadway show together, but it just, it just didn't really work. And Harvey said, you needed a Jew. <laughs> <laughs> you must have just fell off oh your chair. Oh my God, absolutely, yeah, wow. yeah. Yeah, years later, Tim Conway and his granddaughter came to uh, Dancing with the Stars to sit in the audience. And Tim was sitting right at the end of a, an aisle near where I would go during a commercial break to go confer with producers and things. And I thought, oh, I gotta see if I can break up Tim Conway. That would be the best. So I'm getting the cue from the floor, the stage manager, that we're about 20 seconds away from going live now. And I decide to do Tim's old man walk. <laughs> yeah. Like that, which is freaking out the stage manager because I'm not really moving that fast. But Tim broke up. I thought, that's it. That, that's that, it. That's all I needed. You, you could just uh, yeah. leave the earth at yeah, that point. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Oh, that's beautiful. Now, do you still get excited when you meet, uh, you know, someone who you've followed oh, and yeah. just admired? Yeah. Or, like like uh, anybody recently that you've, well, you know, uh, just uh, happened upon that you go, oh, my God, this is exciting. Well, there are people who... who became friends over the years. Uh, as a result of the Boston talk show, People Are Talking, I met Carl Reiner, the late Carl Reiner, and we became good friends for like 25 years. Um, and through him, I met Dick Van Dyke, who's, who's a friend as well. As a matter of fact, during the early uh, months of COVID, um, I th I actually, it's probably by November of uh, year one of the pandemic, I actually went over to visit with Dick and his wife Arlene because I had an idea. I said, Dick, I've come up with a song parody to the Mary Poppins song, uh, Let's Go F Fly Kite, and I've rewritten the lyrics to so Let's All Wear a Mask. <laughs> 
Let's all wear a mask. Don't be a stubborn ass. Let's all wear a mask and help fight COVID. Strap it behind your ear. Cover both here and here. Oh, let's go wear a mask. And the, so I pretended to be auditioning for his a cappella group, which he really has, the Vantastics. And so he said, Arlene shot it on her iPhone. So I'm singing this song, and Dick hears me sing, and then he goes, Uh-huh, not bad. Leave your resume with the lady. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. But and and I'll I'll see um, William Shatner in a couple nights. He's coming to the Capitol Theater in Concord uh, to do a to do an event. Morning, morning. Um, morning. So yeah, and he's been a he's been a friend for years too. So, and I think I, uh, my wife pointed out. She says you you tend to gravitate towards uh, people you admired growing up who are in their eighties and nineties. I said, yeah, it gives me hope. <laughs> it gives me hope. I can be the youngin' hanging out. Like, Bill is 90 years old right now. And he just went up in, in uh, Jeff Bezos' rocket ship right. uh, recently. You know, it's, it's hard not to be uh, inspired by genetic anomalies like that. Oh, yeah. When did you discover that you were funny? I mean, how old were you? Um... Yeah, that's a really good question. I don't know. I don't know. I, it, it's the way my brain works, to the extent that it does. Um, <laughs> I've always had a, a sort of a tendency to wordplay and to find twists in things. Or, um, I think I, I. But I can't. I can't tell you when I when I really discovered it. And some would argue that I'm not, but your wife probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? Well, she's a hard one to make laugh. Yeah. If I can make Lois laugh, I know it, it was a good, a good ad lib. Yeah. Here comes the oil truck again. There we go. Some uh, happy, another happy delivery. In that house, there is warmth. Not not out here, but in that house. <laughs> there you go. So um, you had this uh, period in time where you hosted literally two of the most popular shows in America during that period. Yeah, for about, God, a decade and a half, I was host of the America's Funniest Video Show for 15 years and Dancing with the Stars for 14 years. And uh, while I contend that uh, AFE, America's Funniest Videos, will survive the apocalypse, it, it, it and cockroaches will be the only things left on the planet. <laughs> the dancing show was a surprise. The success of that, particularly in the early years, was a surprise to all of us, I think. You know, I, th I think we all thought it might be a fun summer show, but none of us really thought that it was going to become the, you know, for those first five to seven years especially, you know, a show watched by 20, 25 million people every week. And you knew when the end was uh, uh, was, was was there. I mean, you—it's chronicled. You did yeah. the interview with yeah. Bob Saget, yes. and, and uh, so you pretty much knew this was yeah, winding well, down. There were personnel changes. Uh, they brought in a different producer on the show. There were some network people who uh, had come on board, and it was becoming increasingly clear that we had different ideas about how the show could be best produced. Um, and I just felt, particularly um, back in 2019, when we were on the, in the fall, on the cusp of an election year, that the show should be a respite from the divisiveness and the 
political angst that was so prevalent and still is, sadly. Um, and uh, they just felt they wanted to go in a different direction, as we say in the business. And yeah, it was pretty clear that... And it wasn't the show that I loved in those early years. From 2018, when that new showrunner came on board, I could tell the end was near. But, you know, it was a great run and continues to be one of the great gifts of my career. So now you've got uh, some cool stuff brewing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Uh, uh, Tic-tac-doe. Well, yes, uh, we shot a pilot for a, a reboot of an old game show, which amused me no end because I, I have a lot of tic-tac-toe experience with Hollywood Squares. <laughs> so I guess I was the logical guy to come to. Uh, right? Peter Marshall's retired, and John Davidson has his club sandwich uh, in Sandwich, New Hampshire. Let's get Berger on. Uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> so Harvey uh, Friedman, who was the executive producer of both Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy, uh, is producing this uh, along with me and Steve Mosco from Village Roadshow. So we did the pilot back in June. We are still waiting for NBC to give us the official green light. I told Harvey, I said, or Harry, I said, uh, you know, if our pilot was a fetus, it's in its third trimester. <laughs> they better have a birth announcement soon or I'm moving on. So th there's that possibility. Um, also, uh, with uh, William Shatner, we've got a, uh, a deal pending with Village Roadshow for a, a movie script based on a, a real-life uh, occurrence of my sister and I buying back our family home. And uh, so we're looking to make a version of that story into a holiday movie. Um, and, yeah, so it's, it's just... It, it, I'm uh, enjoying the ability now to kind of pick and choose things that amuse me and, and engage me in ways that um, I might not have been able to do earlier. Well, I'm so grateful that you indulged me. Oh, this was fun. For, for this walk. Uh, this I thought this was going to be a lot more painful, Buzz. I really have to be honest. When, when I texted you earlier this morning when it was nine degrees, I thought, what the hell have we agreed to do? But it's, it's been easy peasy. This has been great. I really appreciate uh, you taking a walk with me, Tom Bergeron. My pleasure, Buzz. A pleasure. Taking a Walk with Buzz Knight is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. How good was that? That was, that was so much fun. That was fun. really easy. Oh, that was great. <laughs>